Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 127 of the Peristyle Podcast. If you don't know, the Peristyle Podcast is our weekly internet radio show talking all about the USC Trojans and this offseason there's been plenty to talk about with the USC Trojans. This week we're going to talk about new athletic director Pat Hayden, Mike Garrett on his way out, Hayden on his way in, giving back to Reggie Bush Heisman, so many things to discuss we got lots of recruiting questions to get to later in the show if you have any questions or comments drop us an email podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address and we're going to talk to coach harvey hyde in the first segment coming to us yet again from catalina island he has a, a tremendously rough life coach how you doing hey thank you very much I tell you I, I got a rough life it doesn't seem like it but i do i'll be on a boat in a moment here going back to America, and uh, but it's been great going back and forth this entire summer, uh, Ryan. But I'm getting ready for football, as everyone else is, and uh, you really don't get a moment to relax. There's something always happening that uh, you have uh, emotional feelings on, and you you get all wrapped up into it, and you talk about it on vacation with everybody, and you really don't get away as you should be from the things you're going to be talking about the entire year. But it has been a a different type of year for the Trojan family as far as at USC in the athletic department with a lot of changes, a lot of coaching changes and so on, and now an athletic director change and the sanctions. I mean, there hadn't been a quiet moment at any time. But, Ryan, before we get started, I want to apologize to all of our listeners out there. Last week I got excited about the accomplishments of the athletic department and the number of positive things that have happened as far as national championships and so on. And I said they had won five national championships this past year at USC, and it was only three. So I want to apologize on that. And uh, it's it was five as far as the past two years, but I got that uh, mixed up. So I want to correct myself and uh, apologize if I misled anyone. And if someone went on and told someone else that, I apologize <laughs> for you to carry on that type of bad message so no, no worries that takes coach. care of that yeah no worries coach and uh today i, I forgot to mention t- the date today is uh july 21st 2010 wednesday and we do our weekly podcast coach you're right well let, i want to thank our sponsor real quick southern california tickets sctickets.com 1-800-888-7287 if you want to give them a call need tickets for anything angels dodgers stretch runs concerts sporting events theater any of that stuff Go to sctickets.com. But, Coach, you're right. I mean, this offseason, we usually try to do different segments on the podcast. You know, you would think that throughout the offseason, you'd run out of things to talk about. We actually never do. We can do. We could probably do two or three shows a week if we had time to put all that stuff together. I like to get in um, and do, you know, previews of teams. We talk to, like, publishers or writers that cover teams that are on, you know, USC's list of opponents for the coming season. It seems like every week there's been something major breaking, you know, between sanctions and coaches. I mean, just, you know, transfers, everything that's been going on. We really haven't had any kind of downtime this offseason. 
You're right, and then the new interpretations of the rules and what they meant by this and how players can transfer all the way up until school starts. And I mean, every day it seems to be a new interpretation on a, on a lot of these uh, sanctions that were put out there as far as credentialing now and how you get your credentials uh, next year as far as the part of the media uh, practices not being open. It goes it goes on and on and on. It, it seems as though, wow, I mean, this is a heavy sludgehammer that's been uh, thrown out there. And, you know, the NCAA, and, and I want to uh, just mention this, uh, you know, they've got to be careful here. They're opening uh, a big door. When they hit FC like they did and smashed him with that sledgehammer the way they did unexpectedly, like everyone thought there'd be something coming down. Everyone, you know, understood that. But uh, the way they came down with their sanctions were unbelievable. And now there's other programs out there that are being scrutinized, and there's other programs out there that the NCAA are looking into as far as some of the same type of allegations uh, that uh, they had uh, they had at USC, and uh, now they've set an example of what type of penalty they might sanction on these teams. And, and I'm going to tell you, if they're not careful, they won't have anybody in bowl, in bowl games. They've got a lot of bowl games now, and uh, a lot of their highly marketable teams may be on probation. And I think that... Um, the NCAA is going to really seriously have to take a look at what's going on here because uh, if you look closely enough at every program, there's always, you know, what do you say, some infraction that people don't even realize that was an infraction. And how do you really know, really know what's happening with all of your players and all of your athletes, wherever they might be? I mean, some athletes live thousands of miles from the campus. So uh, I don't know. I, I think they're going to have to really take a look at some of this stuff. And I know USC has certainly gone to the highest of limits. I mean, I don't know what else they can do to try to show that they are trying to correct whatever problems they had. And I'm not quite sure that, you know, the people that you know, and, and I don't like this, the people that actually were involved in the uh, areas of discrepancy that were, were mentioned uh, go free. What I mean by that, there's no real penalty to them and the players now that are currently there, the coaches that are currently there, the athletic director that was there, all of these other people sort of pay the, the fine and the university for something that uh, happened and those people are gone. But, you know, I'm just saying that because it, it's something that that when you open that door and you set an example like what they did with USC on their sanctioning, wow. I mean, you're really opening the door. And uh, we'll see what happens with that when, with it's, other universities. Yeah, it's Pandora's box. And, you know, the Nick Saban comments coming out that you, they should punish um, agents and runners and stuff you know, from the NFL side of things, if this happens, I think initially coach, and you know that a lot of the SEC schools really hate USC and there's a, you know, not a lot of, not a lot of love lost there. Those are the first people jumping up and down when they hear about sanctions from USC. But I think after the dust settles, a lot of those schools are going, huh, USC didn't pay any recruit or a booster didn't pay a recruit to come to USC. This is an outside influence that they either turned a blind eye to or should have known about or whatever. I mean, this was someone from outside the program 
trying to give benefits to a player. Wow, if that happens here, are we going to get you know death penalty like sanctions without you know without doing things? And so I think a lot of those schools are like, this was kind of fun to see USC go down, but that precedent doesn't really look good for any of us. That could happen anywhere, and it, it seems like that's getting a lot of these schools to be you know really aware of what's going on and kind of shaking in their boots. You could say. Well, I would say yes, it is, because no one expected that type of punishment to USC. No one. I haven't talked to anybody at other universities. They've all said, wow, they really lowered the boom on USC, and USC has even gone farther farther than what the NCAA uh, requested. And, uh, you know, they've, they've eliminated positions. They've sent a Heisman Trophy back. They've done this. They've done that to, you know, eliminate an athletic director, uh, uh, they brought in two, uh, uh, Pat Aiden and J.K. McKay. They've, they, they, they've done a lot of things. Todd McNair is gone. I mean, uh, I mean, there's, I mean, unbelievable what's happened during this period of time, and and it's going to be a very difficult thing to regroup and uh, be able to have the confidence of the coaching staff, the players, and so on uh, for a short period of time here until the dust settles and everyone's nervous probably now and wondering what's going to happen not only at the other universities, but at USC. But I want, to, I want to say this. I want to say this, too. For all of you Trojans that are out there, you've got to look back on the 17 years that Mike Garrett was the athletic director. And you've got to say and look at the tremendous, tremendous accomplishments that have happened at USC. More national championships, I believe. I'm always going to say I believe now than any other athletic director, more fundraising done during that period of time than any other athletic director. The Galen Center, what, what they win, nine or eight or nine Pac-10 championships, uh, national championship, bowl games, BCS games, not just in football, but all the sports. So you got to really look at it as a great accomplishment for the athletic department under the leadership of Mike Garrett. I mean, a lot of great things have happened. And uh, you have to look at the positive side of it and not lose the pride of all the things that have have happened and the great athletes that have gone through there, both men and female, the great coaches that have been there, the great leadership. Look at the, the associate athletic directors that have gone on and become athletic directors at other great universities, Lisa Love at Arizona State, Daryl Gross at Syracuse. I mean, there's been a lot of positive and great respect for the athletic department at USC as far as Heisman Trophy winners, high draft choices. I mean, so I think you've got to point out the positive things that happened during this period of time. And then you've got to say, okay, they've handed the baton to another leader now. And that is Pat Hayden. And it's going to be his period of time now to create his legacy. Pat is an SC graduate, a Rhodes Scholar. Mike Garrett was a Heisman Trophy winner. Now you have a Rhodes Scholar uh, leading the athletic department at USC, a trustee who now will resign as a trustee and be the athletic director. So, you know, it isn't going to end. It's just going to continue. And you've got to always remember you, when you get knocked down, you get up or you wipe the dust off. And that's going to happen to everyone. 
especially when you have a lot of great success. Because people really don't like seeing a university or people having such great success or individuals like USC has had during the past few years. So you sort of dust it off and you pass the baton and Mike Garrett goes on, rides into the sunset with all of his accomplishments, can stand up tall and in comes a gentleman, Pat Hayden, that played at USC, professional football, very successful businessman, road scholar, to now say it's your turn. And I think that the Trojan family should now just regroup, get through this period of time, and uh, support the program and the university to the utmost. And the players, especially, because you can imagine the difficult times these players are going through right now, especially the recruiting and Lane Kiffin and all of these players and coaches trying to get prepared for a, a football season with all this controversy around them. It's very difficult to focus. So I, I think that's what we have to look at. When I say we, I think everyone that follows the athletic department and is a part of USC or football in general, it can happen to anybody, okay? Any university, any individual, and you got to move on. And I think that's basically when you make no comments. I mean, the papers are going crazy right now. They're, they're having a field day. You know, they're, they're, they just love it. But, you know, remember... A lot of these people that influence the readers really don't know what they're talking about. I'm not pointing down any one person in a way, but it's a get-even time. It's selling newspapers. If you pick up the papers, they're about one-third of the size they used to be. They're fighting for their lives. So, you know, they've got to get headlines. They've got to get stories and so on. So, you know, you say, great. They forget that people have family they have kids at home. They, they don't really care about that portion of it. All they care about is ripping or doing what they have to do to sell newspapers. But uh, me, I'm going to look at the positiveness, congratulate Mike Garrett for a tremendous, tremendous 17 years of leadership in the athletic department at USC, and then I'm going to wish Pat Hayden and his staff and Lane Kiffin and all the coaches at USC continued success and say, just get after it. Yeah. Fight on. With Hayden, I mean, I think that USC couldn't have picked a better guy. And at a time when there's been a lot of questions about some of the decisions made by the administration and what's been going on, either not going too hard after the appeal or during the whole sanctions, how USC's attitude towards everything or whatever. I mean, there was a lot of criticism going on in the athletic department. And, you know, you can be positive or negative towards Mike Garrett, however you want to be. But looking forward, if you had to replace the athletic director, I'm not sure you could have picked a better guy than Pat Hayden. No, I agree with you 100%. No, I agree with you 100%. Pat's a great leader. He's been successful in everything he's done. He's got a great image. He's a lawyer. I mean, uh, he knows business. He knows law. Uh, He knows uh, the SC family. He played professional athletics, and now he's just running a different company. And uh, what he needs to do is to meet and sit down with all of his coaches, uh, get their support, tell them that, you know, he's there to help them. Nothing's going to change except, you know, we're going to fight on. 
and uh, continue with the, the 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 torch and 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 get it done. You 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 got to move on as quickly as you can. You can't focus on the negatives, or you get distracted on what your goals are academically as well as athletically. And uh, if you continue to read the paper or feed them information and so on, they're going to keep bashing and so on. But this is their field day. They they love doing that. Same with talk radio and everything else. You've got to, it gives them stories. It gives them something to talk about. Listeners want to hear what they're saying and pass it on. So what you got to do is move on. You got to congratulate what happened in the past to uh, the FC athletic department under uh, Mike Garrett, whether you think it was good or you're bad, bad, that's the way it was. And that's the way it'll remain. And you, if you love Pat Hayden's selection, then that's the way it is. If you don't like the selection, that's the way it is. <laughs> and you just move on. Uh, I mean, I've talked about this before, too. And it, now it's, I mean, it's almost twofold. But for Lane Kiffin, it seems to me like he's been around the program for a couple years now. And he hasn't even coached a game yet. Man, and then you change the athletic director on him besides all the you know, trying to replace a legend and, and coming in late and being under a firestorm from Tennessee, keeping that class together, adding to that class, getting a good start with a great staff and a, a great spring ball, competitive and disciplined and getting people fired up and then hitting the road recruiting and getting a whole bunch of commitments for the class of 2011, you know, under all this adversity, then boom, hammered by sanctions Trans guys transferring out, rumors of guys transferring out, uh, ambiguous NCAA rulings when guys can transfer out, saying that basically, you know, juniors and seniors can almost pack up and leave anytime they want. And then, oh, and then you're going to change out the athletic director and get a new guy coming in. It seems like Kiffin's almost on the hot seat now. He hasn't even got to coach a game yet because they just changed the athletic director. I mean, I, I don't know if a, a brand new coach has been through as much as Lane Kiffin has, I'm probably in the history of college football. I have to. I have to agree with you. I don't mean to chuckle, but it, it is. I mean, I, I I've never seen anybody go through so much. And I tell you, he's sort of been real cool about it. He's not getting quoted. He's back in the background and and uh, you know dealing with what he has to deal with. And he's got you know a lot to deal with. Believe me, it's a lot of players, uh, especially in the fall. I mean, I think they're down to seventy scholarships now. And, you know, I'm starting to get to a point where I'm starting to worry about who's going to service the offense and who's going to service the defense when you start to lose your depth, you know, losing receivers and so on, and who's going to run the other team's plays during practice. So you have to get a whole new philosophy of how you're going to practice. You can't lose anybody in practice. Uh, you have to be able to, uh, you know, more or less go uh, hit when you need to hit, not hit every minute, and, and more or less have a pro type of philosophy and uh, keep your players healthy and show up and play. But I'm sure that his staff, being in it, what you said, a great staff, will be able to adjust to this. And I really think that under the circumstances, I still feel they're going to have an outstanding team. And when we get closer to the season, I hope we'll have a chance to talk about football. Right now, we football. haven't had a chance to talk much about football. <laughs> yeah, we because, haven't. And, <laughs> You know what I mean, uh, Ryan? And, and maybe we'll have that chance. And when you have questions, you, you, you call them in or email them in, and we'll be able to answer them for you. But right now, it's been all this off-field stuff that's been happening during our past, like, 10 broadcasts. Yeah, it's, it's not as fun, Coach. But luckily, we got two weeks until fall camp, and that, 
they're going to have to practice no matter what. It could still be news breaking, but they're going to have to hit the pro- football field. And that's, I want to end on this note, Coach. We got a question from Mark uh, with the uh, imposition of the sanctions and the NCAA focus on controlling practices. Will a team publish a schedule? for fall practice maybe you could comment on this coach i mean they've come out with a schedule already we've posted it on uscfootball.com but it it doesn't sound like from the the latest people that i've talked to it doesn't sound like practices will be open to the public and i i'm not even it doesn't even look like they'll be open the way they were in the spring where you had to get on a list 24 hours in advance it this is disturbing to me, but we're going to have to wait and see because policies could change at the last minute and they can adapt throughout fall camp. But it doesn't look really good for you know fans being able to get into practice. Uh, they're going to let media in. They're going to let family in. But I'm, I'm not too confident right now, Coach, that they're going to they're going to you know just kind of overshoot this and make sure it's closed off to almost everybody. It sounds like. And I'm not quite sure either if this is a university rule or if it's an NCAA rule. Do you know that if it's an NCAA rule or a university uh, I, I don't think the NCAA said you can't open practices, but it, it sounds like to, to appease the NCAA, that might be exactly what you know, USC is doing. I've, you know, we haven't got an official policy handed to us yet, but it, from people that I've talked to, it sounds like when they've talked to people in the athletic department, it sounds like it would be closed off. And for me, Coach, the disappointing thing is that's not – you know, closing practices weren't, was not going to keep out a Lloyd Lake or a Michael Michaels. Those guys weren't walking the sidelines of practice or anything. The, the, what that keeps out is the Ricky Roses and the Jake Olsons and the great stories that, you know, Pete Carroll kind of brought around the program. These, you know, underprivileged kids or kids that went through adversity or Pop Warner teams, anything like that. Those are the kids that are going to miss out on this. So that's the kind of collateral damage by the NCAA on this whole mess. And it's a shame because those are the kind of people you want at practice to make their lives better and to enhance the lives of the student athletes that are playing football. I think it's a, you know, mutually beneficial arrangement when you have stuff like that, you have a tough luck kid come in and be, you know, loved by the team and the team gets fired up by them. And that's what's going to be squashed by this. And that's really a shame. I agree with you. And how about this? I don't know. Say I'm a, the college president. And one of my donors that just gave me $50 million said, is the team practicing? And uh, the president said, yeah. I said, well, can we go down and watch practice? Now, is he going to say, no, I'm sorry, you can't go? I mean, think about that for a minute. I I don't know, man. uh, That's tough. I mean, uh, I don't just don't, I just don't understand how this rule helps anybody. Uh, And and the no sideline now, the sideline rule, I can understand people not on the sideline because really there are a lot of people on the sideline at different times. And I really used to enforce that heavily when I was a coach, the people are on the sideline. Uh, but I, way I understand it, boosters can't fly on the team plane anymore. I understand. I don't know, but that's what I've been told. I don't know if it's true fact. So, you know, there's a lot of things that are still being clarified on exactly what can happen credentialing now with the media, the way I understand it. Now I don't know. I understand that media passes now will not be mailed out. You have to go to will call, show a picture to get your pass weekly to be able to go into the game and so on. So I don't know if this is USC or the NCAA has, has put down all these things. So I think they've, um, you know, overdone it, the NCAA, as far as what's happened to a great university 
and they've got to be very careful. I touched on this at the beginning of the segment on what doors they open up for other universities and other sanctions that could be coming out against other universities because what's good for one is good for all. And uh, during the 17 years of Mike Garrett, I don't know. You, you, you've been at SCO a long time. How many incidents have they had with the NCAA? They had the O.J. Mayo. They had the McKnight. They had the Reggie Bush. But how many others have they had? Yeah, there was some minor stuff with uh, John Robinson the second time through. I mean, there wasn't a ton. I mean, USC. I had, mean. Yeah. Yeah, really. I mean, you're going to have some things, Okay. So uh, what I'm saying, you know, don't make this out to say this has been like this forever. It hasn't. And like I said earlier, 17 glorious years, look at it as a very positive thing of greatness and pass the baton to Pat Hayden and say, hey, buckle up and continue with the leadership now for the next however long Pat is the athletic director. All right, Coach. Well, next week we can maybe do some preview of fall camp. Hopefully there won't be any off-season <laughs> crap that we have to talk about. Please. It would be Please. great to talk some football, only football. But, Coach, we always appreciate it. Wanted to thank you and uh, have a safe trip back from Catalina. We'll talk to you next week. And thank you, and thanks Southern California Ticket Service for me, Ryan. Yeah, thanks, uh, thanks to com. Everyone else, hey, 30 seconds. We're going to be back talking with – Dan Weber, more about the new hiring of athletic director Pat Hayden. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to talk to USCFootball.com beat writer Dan Weber in this segment. He was down there yesterday on U- at the USC campus to hear what Pat Hayden and J.K. McKay had to say. Dan, thanks for joining us. How are you? Oh, I enjoy it very much. Uh, thanks for having me. Oh, not a problem, Dan. Well, you were down there. It was kind of like a impromptu press conference. Not really a press conference, but just a little media gathering where Hayden and McKay could meet, you know, all the different beat writers and talk about what's going on where you know, the program in the future and stuff. What were your overall impressions coming from that meeting? Well, you know what I really liked, and I, I'll be honest, I hadn't ever gotten to meet JK McKay. So, uh, and, and you get a connection to, you know, his dad and the history of the program when it really became, uh, you know, kind of in modern times, uh, the USC football program and just love dealing with him. I mean, I just think he's, and he was very informal while Pat had some formal things to do and photos and interviews with TV and what have you. Uh, you know, we were just pretty much waiting in, in the lobby of heritage and, and, and you just, got to talk to J.K. McKay, and what an approachable guy, and you love the relationship that he and Pat Hayden have had for since they were 14 years old, and uh, you like it that 
you know, USC in this time of, uh, you know, kind of a time, a tough time, does go back to two football guys, two Trojans, two very successful football guys, also two lawyers, you know, uh, a businessman. J.K. McKay had one time where he left, you know, law and he ran an XFL franchise and they won the championship. Uh, so he's a very competitive guy. Uh, I, I liked everything about him. He, uh, he liked all the right things in the program. He enjoyed the openness of practice and the fun that people, you know, uh, teams were having and all that. So, uh, I, re- I really, and then you get JK or then you get Pat Hayden and even for the USC haters, it really puts them in a difficult spot when they you look at his resume and there's just, I mean, there were probably some competitors boards today that had great difficulty in knowing how could they hate USC today uh, and talk about Pat Hayden, for example, that kind of thing. I mean, they just, it made it very difficult, uh, you know, uh, to, uh, to say something negative when you're bringing back your Rhodes Scholar two-time national champ, two-time academic All-American, Phi Beta Kappa, Magna Cum Laude, uh, you know, successful uh, venture capitalist, uh, national media person as your athletic director. And it's like, okay, find, <laughs> find something wrong with that. It's hard to find uh, kind of fault in that. You know? and, uh, you, huh? you, it's hard to find fault in that. And your column last night was interesting where you talked about it sounded like Hayden answered more questions, you know, in that little media session than Mike Garrett did in the last decade. So it seems like literally we had to, you know, we had to finally get up and leave because he wasn't going to leave. I mean, I you, and I think I just was. I listened to him on Colin Cowherd today, and I think Cowherd's, you know, you can take it a couple of different ways. But one of the ways Colin Cowherd took it was, gosh, he answered everything. He answered every question. Now I may say there might be some times where Pat. Uh, is almost too uh, forthcoming in, 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 in some answers and what have you, and, and, and we'll realize that maybe sometimes you give people some ammunition that you don't want to give them. But, you know, you get this sense of last night, Pat wasn't going to leave. I mean, literally, we talked to him, and I was lucky. My first year covering USC, I actually got a sit-down interview with Mike, uh, Mike Garrett. It took me a couple of months, and I had to jump through a lot of hoops but uh, but I did get one, uh, and I think, uh, you know, I was uh, maybe luckier than some, and although I heard, I think, Shelly Smith of ESPN saying she, you know, in her 10 years covering USC, she got to talk to Mike once. Uh, he literally, Pat, literally answered more questions, spent more time with the media than, uh, than Mike did in the last decade. It just it wasn't a comfortable thing for Mike to do that. He just... That wasn't his world. That wasn't where he'd been successful, and that's probably where USC needed someone who could who could almost welcome being in that world because that's the world you're in and you're going to be in if you're USC right now. Uh, and uh, USC didn't have anybody to do that. And he even admitted, I think Pat did, that you know USC had a face uh, with Pete Carroll, and now that he's gone, and USC needs a a public face. And I'm not sure you can get a better public face than uh, than Pat Hayden. Well, you, you, might you, know, need, uh, you mentioned Hayden. Yeah, you, you might need him to, you know, not say something, for example, citing the NCA report, other than a, a, a citation of this is what the NCA, 
you know, this is how the NCAA went after USC. You might not want to cite it as proof of necessarily anything uh, when you get into its details. And, and, and he, I think he's learning, uh, you know, where, where some, uh, some traps might lie uh, for people looking to, you know, hope maybe keep USC down for 10 years. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, I think it's going to be very interesting, his working relationship with Lane, uh, how how those two are going to work together. I think it, it's going to be very uh, kind of an interesting um, uh, thing to watch over the, the next uh, few years as, as to how this all develops. Yeah, I agree with you. And, that, you know, you mentioned at the outset that, you know, both uh, Hayden and, and McKay are lawyers and USC is creating a new VP of compliance position. You know, there's there's a lot of lawyers in that kind of circle. It seems like there's going to be a lot more lawyers and lawyer type people hanging around Heritage Hall than there ever has been before. Uh, yeah, and, and, and I mean, we were walking past through this, and I, one of the questions I had is, um, you know, you can say we will have the best, the most thorough, the most far-reaching, the most uh, uh, proactive uh, uh, compliance office that anyone in the history of the NCA has ever had. I said. When does that become a competitive disadvantage? When do other schools start saying, you don't want to go there. They're going to give your parents the kind of exam your parents don't want to, I mean, you know, they would avoid from the IRS. You don't want to go to a place where they're going to make your parents jump through all kinds of hoops. And Pat does, when you say something like that to Pat, he says, oh, well, that's really a good point. Okay. So, I mean, you're, a lot of this, I don't think, has been completely thought out. But uh, when you look at, can you know, will schools say, don't go to USC, you can't imagine what they're going to make your parents uh, reveal or what they're going to ask you to do in terms of uh, everything that, in your life. Uh, is that, you know, and if they say, well, we're only going to, the NCA only, and Pat talked about this a few times yesterday, how the NCA created a new standard in the USC case, which of course it did, the uh, how you have to monitor uh, more strictly high-profile elite athletes. Well, isn't that the point of USC's program to recruit lots of high-profile elite athletes? Does that mean, by definition, USC is going to be required to do way more than people who, let's say, in the Pac-10, who are pretty darn good, but let's say they didn't have the same level of high-profile athletes that they recruited. So do they not have to put those kids under as much scrutiny as the USC kids? And is that, is that fair? Is it, is it legal? I mean, you know, is that a, you know, a, a kind of a discrimination a profiling that, uh, and Pat did say, he said, you know, I don't know. He said, has there been a lawsuit about that yet? I said, no, <laughs> I don't think so. But there might be if you put one kid under a whole lot more scrutiny than you do another kid. Uh, I don't know. Is that, is that legal? I'm not sure anybody knows whether it is or not. Yeah, it could be one of the things, some of the fallout from this whole NCAA investigation and stuff. And uh, we talked in the last segment, Dan, a little bit about practice policies and how that if everything ends up being closed off, you know, you're hurting the Ricky Roses of the world and Jake Olson's, and it's not keeping any guys like a, a Lloyd Laker or Michael Michaels off of the sidelines. Did, did Pat Hayden or, or J.K. McKay discuss? some of the practice policies. I mean, I don't know if USC's come uh, out with anything official, but we've heard that it sounds like it's going to be closed off to everyone except uh, media and family. 
Well, here's what I asked JK specifically that question, and he said, I really like the way it was with Peter. <laughs> I mean, I, so I like that. I mean, he liked that. He said, I like the way, you know, he said, the kids were obviously having fun. He said, uh, and I said, you know, none of what we were told happened, you know, badly, uh, even in the NCAA report, happened in connection with somebody who was at practice. Uh, and JK, you know, his first thought was, yeah, I, I agree. I thought that was a good thing. I liked the way Pete did that. Uh, Pat said, because uh, Pat made a point, he said, we have to make sure, you know, kids are having fun. We have to make sure there are smiles on their faces. We have to make sure football players, athletes, get the full experience of being in college, being part of everything. And I said, well, that follows up then, Pat. It almost looked like the NCAA in the report said, we don't want USC football players to be part of the Los Angeles, the Hollywood, the former US, this USC alumni uh, uh, you know, world, because that's a little too glitzy, a little too glamorous, a little too cool. Uh, it gets us nervous if Will Farrell's on the sideline. Because even though he worked in the you know, SID's office when he was at USC, even though he's a fan like everybody else, he's like too famous and he's like too big a deal. And he'll never go to a practice in Starkville, Mississippi. So isn't that unfair to Mississippi State if Will Farrell's at your practice? And I said, so how do you make kids able to have the experience of going to USC, of choosing this community to come to school, and then saying, but you can't have any connection with Will Farrell, who's an alumnus and a, a big fan, because he's too famous? Uh, he didn't have a really good answer. No. And it's a, it's a hard question. He would say things like, whoa, that's a good question. I don't know what the answer is, you know? Uh, I don't know. And I don't think he knows yet. And I think that's a tough one uh, because the world of USC, its alumni, you know, I mean, they're just completing. As you go out here at his hall now, you walk through this unbelievable uh, film school complex with George Lucas, you know, that donated whatever, what, $175 million for, and they're finishing the second building, and they've got the courtyard open. And you go by the, you know, the plaques in the courtyard, and you look at the names, and you think, good Lord, if they bring players here and just say, read the names on the wall of the people who, you know, donated to this building, it would be like, is that an NCAA violation? I mean, you have all the <laughs> famous entertainment people in the whole world and they're right on the wall right outside of heritage hall uh that happens to be the world of usc how do you tell people we want you to fully partake of the usc experience but then tell them but you can't be part of that world at all because that's like a competitive advantage or it's going to drive people in the rest of the country crazy because espn might show who's there and make it look like uh, it's not fair. Yeah. I mean, my conclusion is, if you read the report, you realize the rest of the country did go nuts over what was happening at USC the 30, when they won 34 straight games, when they had a chance to win three straight national championships. My one conclusion, though, is the one single thing that drove people in the rest of the country, especially in the Southeastern Conference where I started covering college sports, 
was the fact that USC won three Heisman trophies in four years. You have to remember, while USC was doing that, Alabama, with its great tradition and national championships and Bear Bryant and all that history, hadn't won a single Heisman trophy. Not until last year with Mark Ingram did, did Alabama win a Heisman. And while USC was making it look easy, I mean, Carson Palmer, they didn't even try to get him one. He just, at the, until the very end, he just got one. You know, I mean, he was the 20th ranked quarterback starting out his senior year, and he ended up with a Heisman Trophy. And it, I think it kind of grisly hit the rest of the country that, oh, man, what are we going to do? USC's going to just take over everything. And so everything that they saw about USC – they turned into a negative, and it w- it will be easier to handle that with a Pat Hayden out front uh, and with a public image that man, we aren't going to let anything go. Uh, we're not going to let anything be loose. We're not going to let anything. But should they just cut the football program off from the rest of Los Angeles? It was one of the most charming things about the football program. And those of us who were there every day, contrary to the people you hear on radio or the people you read on websites and what have you, nothing bad was happening at those practices, I'll guarantee you. The practices were the best thing, almost, that that USC football had going for it. And probably the last thing that ought to go under the, you know, on the block and and, and get taken out. It was, it was so different you'd go to a for example you'd go to auburn uh for the opener and you'd be down there for the walkthrough and you'd notice or at nebraska and you'd notice you know once usc left then the state troopers showed up at the gates you know to make sure no one got through and no one was left around while their sacred football program you know was on the field and checking the you know spying eyes and the you know in the stands and, and there were times, you know, where they, you know, they'd be screaming at you. You're still too close to the field because you hadn't gotten off the field with USC. And, uh, I don't think that's a good thing. And I don't think that's where USC wants to go, but that's just a personal opinion. All right. Well, Dan, Hey, I appreciate it. I hopefully, uh, talked with Carvey Hyde. We hopefully hope that next week we can talk football instead of all this other off season stuff, but we really appreciate your insight and uh, reading your columns and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you very much, Ryan. Enjoyed it a lot. All right, everyone else? Bye. Yeah, we're back in 30 seconds. We're going to talk with Gerard Martinez. Lots of recruiting questions. See what's going on with the program. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to talk a little recruiting in this segment with the guru of recruiting out there, uscfootball.com senior recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. Gmart, what's up, sir? I'm doing good, the guru, but not the recruiting guru. Not that's a whole different ballgame. Not the recruiting guru, but you are a guru of recruiting. Uh, we got a bunch of questions for you today. Some recruiting questions, some scholarship questions, things like that. Uh, but you were down at the Elite Eleven this week. It's going on down there in Orange County for a few days, and you got to see Cody Kessler, USC's uh, commitment for the class of 2011, who will actually enroll early and be counted towards the class of 2010. Maybe just kind of get your thoughts on getting to talk to him and watching him sling the football around with other elite quarterbacks, how he compared, and, and what your overall thoughts were. It was definitely one of the top quarterbacks there first day. Didn't do anything, 
you know, unexpected. I think uh, he and, and Jeff Driscoll, who's committed to Florida, both had solid days. It was kind of funny because we were watching them, and you look at Driscoll, who's uh, a really big kid. Uh, he's about 6'3 and a half. Uh, he's well over 215, probably in that 225-pound range right now. And he's such a big kid below. He looks much more like a pro-style quarterback uh, than, you know, you look at Kessler, who's the shorter, a little more mobile. Although I think Dreskel actually ended up uh, winning the 40. Uh, they had a little kind of, you know, makeshift 40-yard dash there in the second day. And it sounds like Dreskel actually beat him out. Uh, but in terms of mobility in the pocket and agility and balance, uh, Kessler's really good at that. And, uh, and he has good vision, and he you know, squares up his shoulders really well when he's on the run and throwing. Uh, whereas Driscoll, he looks more like a drop pack, Pac-10 style type quarterback, and we were kind of laughing. It was like, you know, Driscoll kind of looks like more like the USC quarterback, and Kessler looks a little more like the Florida quarterback. And so that was kind of interesting, watching those guys go back and forth, different drills, uh, different perspectives on how they throw the ball and in different situations, how successful they are and efficient they are throwing the ball. Uh, but they're both solid, kind of a down year uh, for the Elite 11. It really was more of an Elite 4 or 5, and, you know, there's some guys there that, uh, you know, you could see the gap between um, the top players like uh, Kessler and and Driscoll, you know, to, to some of the other guys there that were kind of bringing up the rear. Uh, but it was fun. It was good to see him throw alongside uh, Mac, Mark Sanchez. I mean, he had Mark Sanchez there, and Mark uh, kind of showing him some ropes and, you know, foot, kind of a little bit of the foot placement and the footwork of things and, and showing reads and just kind of telling him a little bit of, you know, what to look for when he's looking at hot reads and, and doing different, you know, good ball, bad ball, and looking at different coverages and things like that. So uh, Kessler was just really – we were pumped up about that. I mean, his whole family were, uh, they were feeling like, you know, this was like a dream come true just to, you know, see Mark Sanchez and to see Cody Kessler on the same field with, you know, the Mark Sanchez. And, and obviously it was a good experience, you know, from him, uh, for him just as a player, but then also just from that fantasy, you know, obviously Cody Kessler committing to USC. Mark Sanchez is a guy that you look to and watched a lot uh, during his career. So uh, that was kind of a cool moment. And we talked to Cody afterwards, talked a lot about him, just uh, kind of like as a satellite recruiting coordinator for USC right now, you know, being a quarterback, being a guy that's out there and in the front of the class, kind of that, you know, that cornerstone of the class. He's out there and he's in everybody's ear about USC. And uh, he mentioned some names of some guys he's recruiting hard. So if you get a chance to check out that video, it went up tonight. Uh, pretty interesting stuff. All right. So with Kessler, I, uh, Yogi Roth is one of the guys that helps out, former USC assistant quarterback coach he kind of helps out running the uh, elite 11 a lot of those different camps and stuff i got a text from him and it was pretty simple he's just like this kid's good and uh it, you know a lot of different people we've talked to seem to be impressed with the way kessler played i i mean just from the, from the first day anything i don't know anything like stand out for you in particular that you think usc fans would like to know about he puts great spin on the ball uh has a great medium pass where you know you're looking at those in routes you're looking at you know how much velocity he can put on the ball his placement of the ball and how catchable of a ball he throws and he puts great spin on it great spiral i think that was you know we saw a couple of those passes just uh in the you know the deep you know the 15 in uh some of those curl routes and he was able to put it you know through a linebacker um get it you know off the corner and, and really put nice placement on the ball i think that was the thing that probably stood out the most because you look at long balls and there's a lot of things you can get wrapped up in uh looking at a quarterback and his arm strength altogether and some of that stuff is not really applicable to you know, how he plays 
uh, the games. You know, what, what, how does that really translate to him being a good quarterback and actually moving the ball on a third down? I mean, those are kind of third down routes that you get where you've got to look across the off or the defense and make your right read and get the ball there timely, but put it in a position where you know if the receiver isn't quite past that third down marker, he's able to make a play on the ball. You're able to get the ball in front of him, and he's able to keep running and he's able to get you know three or four more yards. That's a big thing. That's very, that's very important for a quarterback and for an offense. I think Kessler really does well there. He really gives uh, his receivers a chance uh, to not only catch the ball, but to make some plays afterwards. And, and that's all about, you know, throwing a real catchable ball and putting it on the money and, you know, putting it in there where it, uh, it hums a little bit, but it's not too hard to catch. And it's obviously very accurate. All right. Well, let's get to a couple questions, Gerard. We have a few of them out there. First one from SP Trader wants to know about the, uh, scholarship distribution chart we talked about this last week you can check it out on uscfootball.com put it up on july 11th to kind of distribute you know talk about the distribution of scholarships from all the different classes and all the different positions uh but he says if your listeners believe that usc has an o-line problem they really did not look at the scholarship distribution chart at the defensive tackle spot that is the real problem maybe gerard could discuss this aspect of the team and potential recruits. What do you think, Gerard? Well, yeah, no, it is a problem. It's a specific problem if Terrell Casey leaves uh, after his junior year. Then you're really looking at a gap. You get Christian Tupo back. He's coming off an ACL, uh, so he's going to be out the season. He's going to end up redshirting, so you get him back. But if Terrell Casey leaves after his junior year, then you're going to have a big gap because basically you've got uh, Fangupo and you've got Harris, and Fangupo could technically leave too, but with only one year because he hurt himself in the Washington State game and broke his leg, this is really the first year he comes back and hopefully stays healthy. Uh, you don't think he's going to leave too early, but uh, you're going to lose Derek Simmons, who's kind of been serviceable. He's kind of jumped around from offensive and defensive line, but he's a senior. Uh, but Jarrell Casey is obviously one of the best, if not the best defensive player on the field, uh, quite frankly, for USC right now. And he's a guy, in terms of you know being disruptive force for the defense, is the guy that everybody's looking at, especially when you're talking about the middle of the defense, playing over center, one shade, and be able to take on double teams. So if he leaves, yeah, it's a big problem. And all, all they got last year was George Uko, uh, who could end up being a great player, but he's going to be a guy that's going to need to develop a little more, uh, you know, just in terms of his technique, in terms of maturing, getting his body right. I don't think he's a guy who's going to come in right away and, and be, you know, a butt kicker. It's going to take a little bit of time for him. So uh, in terms of recruits, you know, they already have Antoine Woods, uh, 6'1", 320-pound defensive tackle, four-star uh, from Taft High School in Woodland Hills. He's already committed. Um, he probably going to take some visits, and people are a little, you know, they're a little skeptical about that. He's been up to Washington a couple of times. I foresee him probably officially visiting Washington. He could officially visit UCLA, may even go as far as, you know, officially visiting Florida. But I think he's pretty solid with SC. He's kind of the guy that they're building this class around. He was the first guy that committed. I think Jalen Grimble's a guy who's also committed 6'3", 260, 265-pound range. He's probably going to move down to defensive tackle, but he's a guy that uh, I think, unlike Woods, Woods has the body, as long as he gets in shape and he trims down, he has the body that can mature quick enough where he could be an impact player, I think, early on. Jalen is a little younger. In fact, he's actually a year behind in his class, and that is going to kind of take him a little time to be able to mature and to physically be able to take that beating of playing inside. But I kind of see that's where he's going to end up going. Um, and, and then from that point on, it's kind of like, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, they could go a junior 
junior college route. There's a kid named Jesse Williams who's originally from Australia who is a, a rugby player. Uh, he's 6'2", about 330 pounds. He's a defensive tackle out there in Yuma, the JC. He's obviously a guy, if you can get him in um, as, a, as, a, as a December grad or at least even get him in uh, for next fall, maturity-wise, you don't have to worry about that so much. Um, but he's one of the few guys that is from the JC ranks actually has an offer right now, and this guy that USC is recruiting hard. Um, Vimola is another kid that, um, you know, in terms of body, could be an impact player early on, uh, about 6'1", almost 6'2", 330 pounds, carries it really well, a little bit like uh, Loney Fangupo where he's 330 pounds, but you just don't really see it. I mean, it's really a lot of muscle mass, and he looks good. He doesn't look sloppy. He's a big-time player up there in Sacramento, plays for Grant High School, very physical football player. A lot of people felt like he wasn't necessarily the standout. He needed to be at the Stanford-Nike camp, but, you know, non-contact camp, I think a lot of those Grant guys just didn't, didn't really know what to do with the non-contact camp. Those guys are physical. They're aggressive. Uh, they know how to play with pads on. And, you know, I think he's as dominant player as you're going to get inside in the state of California this year. But USC is going to have to try to steal him away from Cal, and that's going to be difficult. Cal's going to recruit him hard, and they have some good ends with him because his cousin played uh, at Cal. Uh, so I don't know that you can put a lot of eggs in that basket, but um, that's one of the big-time guys are going after. Uh, at this point, uh, a guy who we talked about early on maybe moving into being a three-technique, would be Todd Barr, who's uh, you know about that 6'2", 260 range. Pretty undersized for a defensive tackle at this point in time. And again, you know, you're looking at the distribution chart and you're looking at guys that maybe need to come in and make an impact right away. He's not really that guy. He doesn't have the body that's going to blow you away. He's going to need some time. He might even be more of a defensive end in a, in a 3-4. Um, and he's looking at Cal as well, and that might be a really good fit for him. USC has not offered him yet, and it really – kind of hot and cold on recruiting him in general. So, you know, he's a guy that's kind of slipping off the radar a little bit right now. Um, it is a good year for defensive tackles in, in Southern California and California in general. We just kind of have to see how USC develops the target list if they go and they offer some more guys in state. There are a lot of guys offered out of state uh, that they're going on and, and that they've already offered, but, you know, guys in like Louisiana that are committed to LSU and Obviously, you're just not going to put a lot of uh, hope right. into getting those guys committed. Um, you know, you never know. Hey, Ergeron is is definitely an amazing recruiter, and if anybody can can switch guys from commitments, it's him. Uh, but you don't, I think, put your eggs in that basket and, and definitely depend on that. All right. Well, thank you for that question, SP Trader. Uh, David's got one, Gerard. Uh, David says, could you ask Gerard if the sanctions appear to be giving UCLA much of an opening? With players, he's talking about recruiting. I would have thought so, but their commitment list to date seem unimpressive. What do you think about that? Uh, well, I agree to date. It is unimpressive. Um, they don't have a ton of recruits right now uh, that are USC guys. Uh, they just really, none of the players that they have committed right now were players that USC offered or really recruited hard. So from that, no, they're, they're certainly not. Uh, taking advantage of of the the drama and the media blitz and all the negativity that have you know kind of resulted from uh, the sanctions and the investigation in general. But you have to also point out UCLA really is not going to recruit hard and put the full court press on a lot of these big time local players until you get into December January. They really do it late, mainly because Rick Neuheisel is their top recruiter. Rick Neuheisel is 
there at Urgeron, Lane Kiffin. Um, he is the guy that's the closer, quite frankly. He's the opener, and they don't really start opening until late November. And they start getting guys on official visits, and he starts working his magic. And he's a good recruiter. He's as good as there is out there. And when he starts flying around in his chopper and he does all these crazy things, you got to give it to him. The guy can sell. But that doesn't really happen until later in the year, uh, mainly because of the season. And when you got the season going, all the coaches are kind of wrapped up in the season. What will be interesting, and this takes it off topic a little bit, but it is important how USC actually organizes official visits this year. Uh, because as I said, you know, UCLA will like to push a lot of this uh, towards the end of the year. Um, I think USC did a smart thing last year in pushing a lot of their guys that had interest in UCLA to taking some official visits earlier. I know with George Uko, they told him, hey, you know what, you want to take an official visit to UCLA? Do it earlier in the year. We don't want to wait to this last-minute crap. If you like USC and you like UCLA, we want you to see them both early. And if you want to commit, then you commit after you've seen both schools. And so that was a good, uh, I think, a good move strategy-wise for USC. We'll have to see how this staff uh, approaches the official visit um, strategy this year. You know, with Tennessee, they did a lot of official visits during the season. But USC a little different in that you're going to be getting some guys from out of state a little more and maybe even bigger recruits, and you might have to wait a little later in the year to be able to get them in after the season on official visits. So kind of see how that goes. There are some guys that it seems like they want to come in September, October, and obviously you know kids want to come out for big games, and that's always a big lure. And sometimes you have to separate that. You have to look at these kids and go, okay, is this kid coming out here because he's really serious about USC? and he wants to come out and see USC because he feels like he has a legitimate interest in going to the school, or does he just want to come see USC because he wants to see a good football game? That's where you have to, you know, you have to find the difference between those two kids. And so coming, you know, during the year when you have kids coming in during the season, sometimes you can't decipher that. So, you know, waiting to after the year and there's no football game, you know, immediately, well, these kids are coming out here because they want to see LA and they want to see the school. It's not just about a football game. All right. Thank you for that one, David. Cameron wants to know, is DeAnthony Thomas, the Black of Mamba, still committed to USC? I don't remember him saying anything after the sanctions. And what about other players wavering and stuff like that with their commitments? The Black Mamba is still committed to USC. Um, he is uh, the Black Mamba, so he's hard to catch. Uh, so he's hard to get on the phone and it's hard to quote, but I've talked to him a little bit. And uh, he is still committed to USC. Are any other players wavering from a public standpoint right now? No. Uh, we've talked to every commit, really, um, and it seems like everybody right now Stoughton, you know, kind of holding steady. Uh, they've said all the right things publicly as far as, you know, hey, you know, I'm still committed, and, and it doesn't really bother me that much, and, you know, these, these sanctions aren't going to affect me that much. It's only going to be a year where they don't have a bowl. And even to some extent, excited because they know USC may not have as many scholarship offers for so the amount of competition within the depth chart being able to play at USC maybe reduce some so some guys say oh yeah I can get in here I really have a, a shot at playing early uh, a much better shot at playing early now than I did maybe if USC had a 485 where they're going to recruit somebody right in back of me that's going to be just as good as me um, so you, you had a little mix but it's important to note that 
it really doesn't mean anything right now. Uh, there's guys out there like Black, Victor Blackwell and guys like Max Wittick and guys like the Anthony Thomas and, like I said, Antoine Woods. There's a lot of kids in the class that are committed right now that are going to end up taking official visits to other schools. And you really don't know what's going to happen until that happens. You really don't have an idea of how solid these commitments are until – a recruit that's committed goes to another school and spends 48 hours there with the coaching staff in their ear telling them about, hey, man, you're not going to win a national championship there, and they're not going to be any good anymore, and, you know, this, that, and the other, and gets that real negative vibe from that coaching staff, and then comes back, and then has to rethink, okay, am I still committed to this school? Do I still want to go to USC? You know, what's my future going to be like? Um, that's when it really, you know, the proverbial stuff hits the fan, and you're not going to get a lot of that until later in the year. Unfortunately, that's why, you know, all the drama with recruiting always seems to happen towards, you know, the end of December into January. It gets crazy like a circus, and it's mainly because that's when you start to get a lot of those official visits happening, you know, towards the end of the year. And like I said earlier, you know, with USC strategy, maybe they want to get some of these guys in uh, taking official visits to other schools earlier in the year. So it's not last minute, you know, so it's not, okay, we're in here January 20th and this kid now wants to take a, an official visit to Washington or, or go to Florida. And you know, that's just going to be kind of this last minute thing that is going to be a lot of pressure for him to decommit. And then you're going to be playing it down to the wire and it becomes a game of who's in his ear last, you know, who gets that last phone call with him, who gets on the phone with his mom last. And there's the jockeying for the last in-home visit. Um, you can kind of get away from that. Maybe if you push, you know, some of these official visits that these kids want to take, push them, you know, earlier in the year during the season, and then USC can kind of come in later and be the last school and position themselves. Say, hey, listen, you're committed to us, then you need to see us. We need to have the last word and go from there. Uh, but we don't know if that's going to happen or not. You know, and, and again, I'm not a recruiting coordinator. That's not my job. I'm not getting paid for that, so I can't say that I have the best strategy. It's just a possibility. <laughs> it could be something that happens uh, later down the line. All right. Thanks, Cameron, for that one. Uh, next question, I apologize that it got cut off on the printer. I've don't remember who asked this, but he wanted to know how long do walk-ons have to wait to receive a scholarship? For instance, can USC tell recruits to walk on to a team for a semester and then receive a scholarship? That would actually be a gray shirt situation. And we've talked about this on the podcast before, Gerard, that I, you know, one of the, there's a lot of losers in this whole NCAA sanction thing. Innocent bystanders, collateral damage, you know, guys like uh, Ricky Roses or uh, Jake Olson that might not be able to go to practice anymore. Another, you know, innocent bystander here are the the good walk-ons that would receive a scholarship for a job well done and contributing to the team. We've seen a lot of those guys in the past. Heck, Clay Matthews was a guy that got a scholarship as a walk-on and ended up being a stud in the NFL. But at this point, it doesn't look really good for walk-ons to receive scholarships because of the limitations. Maybe you can talk about that a little bit. Under this circumstance, it doesn't, Uh, mainly because – the only way really a walk-on would get a scholarship at this point would be from this year and USC didn't, you know, oversign on early enrollees because a, a scholarship for a walk-on could count this year towards the 2010 class, but he would have to be, uh, he would have to be this semester, I believe. Um, and that's really kind of the hard thing. That's the, when we talked about this before also with USC and how they're recruiting and how they're able to have uh, five, six early enrollees in this class because they still are going to be under that 75 limit. Um, but once 
you have this next year passes, you're not going to be able to count scholarship offers and recruits signing in for the 2010 class because the 2010 class, obviously, that was a class that was undersigned, especially with you know guys like Chantrell Henderson and Marquise Jackson and Glenn Stanley not ending up in the class. Uh, you had a lot of room there. It wasn't a full class, and the NCAA sanctions do not count for that class. Uh, but coming in for 2011, that's when it starts. So if you can get them in this year, they could count towards last year's class. So you could have a walk-on get a scholarship at some time this year. But after that, yeah, you're not going to have any walk-ons probably getting scholarships, and it does affect them a lot. So it is a, a difficult thing, and it's the kind of screwy thing with the math um, as far as you know what the 75 is and when it counts and and and, and what class you're talking about it counting for but um that's how i would understand it uh if they were in this circumstance able to get a scholarship it would have to be uh for this year counting against last year's class in a normal situation for a normal school that has 25 and we throw sanctions out the window uh, a, a walk-on can get a scholarship anytime uh, to, to my knowledge you know he goes into fall camp and blows everybody away and if a school's got an extra scholarship they give it to him right away um, but you know in this situation obviously i think he would probably uh behoove the staff to do it later in the year and wait because obviously they want to see what kids they can get in um as recruits as early enrollees because you know you want to try to get those top guys uh as many as you can if you can get them in and, and graduate them in december and come in in january um you know that's where the more talented player is probably going to be it's probably not going to be a walk-on that's already on your team plus if you got a walk-on who's already on your team well technically he's already on your team so hey um keep on being on the team. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? We know it's expensive, but hey, you pay this semester, hopefully you can pay another semester. Yeah, Joe Houston would be the guy that comes to mind. He'll be the starting kicker for USC, most likely, and not on scholarship. So, interesting question there. We'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep you guys up to date with that. I think things, things can change, but it doesn't look real, real good for the walk-ons right now. Uh, last thing, Gerard, Nick wanted to know, he's a super fan, he's a USC student, he wants to know if we can do some kind of student discount uh, for uscfootball.com subscriptions. We did do a, a, a thing recently, Nick, and you can email me, podcast at uscfootball.com. We'll still extend you out through uh, August 15th if you want to sign up for a free day, seven days. We'll you know give you an extra month or so if you want to do that so it wouldn't cost you anything. But he wants to know, and I think he would know the answer to this, Gerard, if he was a subscriber, who is Peter McBride? Zero stars, 200-pound offensive lineman. Almost no info on, it, info on him. Would you mind giving me a little insight here? Well, wait a second. Okay, I thought I was going to answer the question about being a super fan and getting a discount on uh, the subscription. <laughs> I, I say yes. I say totally, I'm for you. Uh, but unfortunately, my answer to that question doesn't mean crap. So, well, you can, second, can, part can, question, yeah. <laughs> second part we of the question. Second part of the question. We can do a student discount uh, in the future. We just haven't done anything like that before. But it, it's possible, yeah. Cool. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you for that, Ryan. Uh, Peter McBride, uh, 6'1", 200-pound offensive lineman. What the heck is USC doing? Are they hurting that much for offensive linemen that they're going after 6'1", 200-pounders? No. He is a December grad, which we've talked about being a bonus, but he's a long snapper. He is uh, one of the nation's best long snappers. Uh, went to USC's Mardinello kicking camp, and it sounds like he really blew away uh, Coach John Braxton. Uh, Baxter, excuse me, who, you know, everybody talks about 17 years at uh, Fresno State, a noted, a noted special teams coach across the country. He's serious about special teams, and it looks like Lane Kiffin is serious about special teams. And they went in. 
They got uh, McBride, and they also got Andre Hidari, who's uh, one of the best kickers in the nation. And USC is being very aggressive, so they need a long snapper. I mean, that's something that you know that that we we all see that uh, they don't have anybody really uh, that's going to be in the future on staff, right, or at least on the ro- on the roster right now that's going to be a good long snapper. And if you feel like special teams is important, and you're going to go out and you're going to hire one of the best special teams coaches in the nation, and you're going to have him be a specific special teams coach because we need to be able to point out, Baxter doesn't really coach another position. I mean, he is a special teams coach right now. He was a special teams coach and a tight ends coach at uh, Fresno State. He's not the, the tight ends coach at, uh, at USC, at least not right now. He was not really involved with the tight ends at all. So he's a specific special teams coach. So if you're going to go out of your way and you're going to use, you know, one of your nine uh, allotted assistant coach spots, on just a special teams coach, well, you better get some players uh, that he can coach that can help his system, and that's a guy uh, like Peter McBride. And so um, that's who he is. That's what he's about. You're not going to see, you know, long snappers are not big guys. They really are. They tend to be the size of linebackers. Even when you get to the NFL, a lot of those guys are in the 250, 260 range. They're really not big guys. You'd, you'd be surprised. Um, so that's, you know, what Peter McBride's story is. He's not, uh, you know, just this lineman like, oh, my gosh, how, how did they get a center that's only 6'1", 200 pounds? He must be amazing. <laughs> that's not really what it's about. He's a, he's a long snapper. He has a scholarship offer and is a commit as a long snapper. They call him the flamethrower, and uh, he, blew, like I said, blew everybody away, evidently, at the Mario Nello camp. He got a lot of rave reviews and uh, ended up getting a scholarship uh, soon after. All right. Well, Gerard, thank you for that, all those all that information. Nick, thank you for the question, and uh, keep in touch with us on the podcast. Again, if you have questions. I'm rooting for you, Nick. I'm rooting for you guys. Yeah. Subscription. Let's go. Students, come on. Podcast at uscfootball.com. Drop us an email. Uh, thanks again, Gerard. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you again next week. More recruiting questions, I'm sure. Okay, thank you. Hope everybody has a good week. It's been a crazy week so far. We're just trying to, man, just trying to inch closer to fall camp when we actually start playing football and we stop just talking about it. Two weeks left until fall camp. We wanted to thank everyone out there for listening to the Peristyle Podcast. Hit us up next Wednesday. We'll be back on again. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 